0: Welcome back to The Cold War Show. My name is Cameron
1: Riley, And I am Ray Harris. (laughs) Hey, Ray. How are you, buddy? Doing okay. Anticipating the next three hours. Little bit of wood. I am very excited about this.
0: I'd like to start off uh, this episode, episode number 43, if you're keeping count, recorded on the 20th of April, 2017. By sending out commiserations to a big fan of the show, um, Bill Um, O'Reilly. It's been announced today that Bill's lost his job on Fox News after, I think, 21 years being a a flagship show. Um, Not because of the uh, sexual harassment charges that have been thrown against him during that time, but because, well, partly all the sponsors have left his show. And partly because the uh, bad PR is uh, making it difficult for the Murdochs to, uh, Murdoch's sons to buy Sky TV over in London. It's yeah. bad press. But uh, yeah, I, I, I did suggest to the Murdochs, because you know I'm tight, tight, tight with the Murdochs. Did uh, right. have a bit of a tete-a-tete with Rupert. Once upon a time, and, you know, we we keep in touch, we chat. I said, look, just bring me on. Just drop the O. Call it the Riley Factor. Uh, Bill wrote a book about Jesus. I'm making a movie about Jesus. No, (coughs) people won't be able to tell the difference. Trust me, your audience is so fucking dumb, they won't even notice the change of accent. (laughs) Doesn't matter, Roop. So good, buddy. So they're going to get back to me on that. I said, look, you're paying Bill $30 million. Uh, I'll take half that. You know you'll save, and the sexual harassment case, the the payouts that you've had to pay, I'll bring that down by at least half. You know you'll only have to pay out six million dollars in sexual harassment. We
1: we have a business model where we only sexually harass each other, keep it in house, pretty safe. (laughs) That's right. So there you go. Yeah.
0: And whenever you sue me, I just threaten to stop paying you, and then it all works out. That's right.
1: I'm like, hey, yeah. Um,
0: Before we get started with the show, uh, also Patrick Turner, DEFCON 2 subscriber, thank you Paddy, Paddy T, uh, reminded me the other day that uh, we still haven't answered his DEFCON 2 question that he asked back in September last year, Mm. it just fell off the list. So I want to do that before we get it. So he uh, wrote at the time, so if you're a DEFCON 2 supporter, you get to ask a question and we will answer the question. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, Hi, guys. Greetings from Hong Kong. First of all, love the show. Bit of a Ray and Cam groupie having listened to Napoleon, both Caesars, Alexander, and this. Thank you both for making the many hours of running I do that much more entertaining and for being filled with dick jokes spliced in amongst some proper history. Thank you, Patty. Um, I heard my Defcon 2 status come out on episode 14, laughed out loud in a cafe listening to Bar Barbarossa. So I have a question about the Cold War's outcome that I'd be really interested to hear your views on. The common view on the Cold War is that the collapse of the USSR meant the US and allies won the Cold War. Do you accept that premise in the first place? Well, I I, I think... I said back in episode well, 1 of this series that I don't think the cold war ever ended and at the time that was a you know that was 18 months ago give or take that was a somewhat right. controversial position to take maybe it was a year ago we've been doing this show I don't remember when we started it might have been a somewhat controversial position however almost every day in the media now I see a story yeah. saying Either the Cold War is back or the Cold War never really ended. So what do you think, Ray? Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the Cold War is that one time at one time A-list actor dropped down to a C. As far as we and in, 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 uh, the United States are concerned, we won the war. You know, slam duck, whatever, slam the football down. But now it's it's got a, a second chance. It's got its career back. It's back in the news. Um, we are... The news is trying to gear us up to hate Russia, to be mad at Russia, but that flies right in the face of um, uh, our president, our fearless leader, Trump, refusing, almost absolutely refusing to say anything bad about Putin, bad about Russia or whatever. So America is, is generally confused, but you're right. The Cold War wasn't over. It simply morphed just because America emotionally and intellectually uh, took a sigh of relief, collapsed on the chair, and, and uh, we forgot about it for a couple of years. It was still there because you will always have nation states competing against each other militarily, economic, business, money, territory, whatever you want it, whatever you want to call it. So it has now raised its, um, it's now resurfaced, or what, however you want to put that. But uh, it, it never changed, it never went away. It's just morphed, and now it's back in the news. And hopefully, it's going to help. All those people who have newspapers and websites sell a lot of news, sell a lot of ads because that's why they're promoting it so much. By the way, our f- like we talked about before, our
0: first episode yeah. was March twenty fifth, two thousand and sixteen. So we are thirteen months in, man. Baker's dozen. 13.
1: So you called it. You called. I it. called it.
0: Um, yeah, I think as we said in the early episodes, when you break it down. <laughs> 13 months we've been doing this. We're still getting through Yalta. (laughs) We're still in 1945. Quality, baby. What the fuck, man? A year, over a year, we haven't got out of 1945. We haven't even got to the A-bomb yet. We haven't even got to Hiroshima. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Well, we
1: could have stayed on economics this entire time because that's yeah. what it comes down to. But anyway, please go on with your well, story. Well, that's,
0: that's what we said at the, the beginning. The Cold War was about, um, as pretty much every other war that's ever been fought, it's about economics and security, trade and security. And on top of that, it was the Cold War because the, the two quasi-superpowers, I don't really think the Soviet Union was a superpower at any juncture because they were fucking a hollow shell, but uh, had nuclear weapons. And so they didn't go head to head in an all out Mano A Mano, came and Ray in Vegas type uh, action. They, they did this cold behind the thing thing. We fought proxy wars, so they didn't end up nuking each other. Um, now, what's changed? Uh, they're still fighting an economic war. They're still concerned about their respective security. And they've still got thousands of nuclear weapons uh, yeah, at their command. So nothing's really happened. They're not friends, definitely. They've never been friends. There was maybe a small detente for 10 or so years while they worked them, you know, sort of worked out some um, internal shit in the Soviet Union after Gorbachev, between Gorbachev and Putin. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it never really, never really went away. I would say Patty. Okay. More Patty questions. Uh, what top three things would have had to change for the USSR to have come out as the world's only superpower instead? I'm to take a crack at that one. Magic
1: wand. <laughs> no, um, no, the ruble would have had to have been de, the de facto currency, um, of the world it would have it would have had to have been the dominant factor uh, currency in the world that was never going to happen so um, I don't know you don't even need the other two if you can get that but that was never going to happen so um, to me to my thinking never really possible
0: unless the US had actually uh, been attacked you know, like the rest of Europe and and Russia was I mean if if somebody had been able to if the Nazis or the Japanese had been able to during world war ii had been able to bomb the fuck out of uh the the major capital cities of the united states or if Mm -hmm. the russians had been able to do a sneak attack at some stage but yeah as we've said a number of times on the show um the u.s came out of the World War II virtually unscathed um, when the rest of the world's major economic centers were decimated because yeah. the war was fought in Europe and um, not in the Americas. So y- y- the only way that the USSR could have come out on top was if they'd come out with more money than the United States came out of it with, and the only way that could have happened is if the US had had to would have had to have fought the war on the same level of involvement, I guess, as mm-hmm. uh, Europe right. and um, the Soviets.
1: Another option is uh, after the war, obviously with McCarthyism, we we began the process. Uh, we thankfully we didn't go very far. We began the process of tearing ourselves apart. Who needs an, an external enemy when you can turn on each other and 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 you know ruin people's lives? So again, that would have been if you could have taken that and maxed you know times it by a thousand. Maybe that would have done something. Where the actual. Um, fabric of American society breaks down. But again, that didn't happen. We had the dominant economy, so we're not and like you said, we're not we were unscathed. So yeah, well, we are we aren't going anywhere.
0: Yeah, you are. It's happening now. The fabric of the oh, it's U- happening now. Yeah. Oh absolutely. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's that's why I live in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> I mean whether it's a war or a zombies attack, I'm fucking prepared. I'm I live in the middle of nowhere. I, I'm I'm gonna survive and most of you will not. It's been nice now.
0: I thought there were like legal reasons why you had to live in the middle of nowhere, nowhere near children's <laughs> schools or You churches. promised me
1: we wouldn't bring that up.
0: Um his last question is do you think that there is an alternate universe which is worse than our own? Uh where the lesser evil prevailed um yeah well of course there is. Yes, I've, re- I've read I've read about it. it's, it's got called a the
1: Trump name on it.
0: It's called The Red Sun S-O-N, a great comic book where uh, the Soviets oh, yeah. actually win and uh, Superman is working for Stalin. If you haven't read that, it's a really good, actually a really good
1: Superman comic. Yeah, you should read it. Thank God he was American. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, thank you, Patty. I hope that uh, answered your question. Let's get on with episode 43. So, last episode 42, we were talking about Poland's borders. Stalin wanted to move them into Germany. Uh, The other guys were like, ooh, yeah, not so sure about that. We talked about uh, the Red Army walking in, everyone running, all the Germans running away. And if they didn't run away, They basically got raped and murdered. Uh, So that was the last episode. Um,
1: Ended on a high note?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, listener Robert Sullivan asked me to stop bringing up the Mylai massacre. He's sick of me bringing up the Lai massacre (laughs) in all of our podcasts. I said, well, man, it's just the first thing that comes to mind when I think of atrocities. (laughs) Don't take it personally. Yeah. I've got a great negative review uh, that I'll I'll read at the end anyway, too, from somebody on iTunes. Oh, it's awesome. But uh, on this episode, I want to start off by talking about something else that happened on February 7th, which is what, day four, I think, of Yalta, we're still on. Um, Instead of working, the British Chiefs of Staff decided to take the day off and go sightseeing. Oh, I don't know if you've ever been to a, yeah. a conference somewhere, Ray. I don't know if they send you to conferences uh, at the clinic that you work at. Do you get to go to a secretary's conference or something like Secretary's Day, do you have that?
1: No, uh, and fuck yeah. you. Uh, no, I was going to take some time off when in Vegas, but since I got sick, mm. that was done for me. So, no, no, I've never had a chance to take off. in the of Well,
0: whenever conference. I go to a conference, uh, I usually bail after the first hour of the conference and just go sightseeing. That's what I do. I'm like, this is fucking boring shit. I'm going to just go and <laughs> see what's going on. Um, and this Good is video. what the British chiefs of staff decided to do, too. They wanted to bi- visit the battlefield of Balaclava, Mm -hmm. which was near Sevastopol, uh, Russia's principal naval base on the Black Sea. And it had been the site of a major battle in the Crimean War in the middle of the 19th century, about 100 years earlier. Uh, Now, I don't know the Crimean War that well, but I have heard of this. I'm sure most people have heard of this particular episode, the infamous Charge of the Light Brigade. You heard of the Charge of the Light Brigade? Is that something that Americans hear about or just us in the colonies?
1: Uh, uh, no, I have. Uh, just to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about, um, yeah, so supposedly when these uh, British officers went out, they were going to go look at a recent um, battlefield between, you know, the the Red Army and the Wehrmacht. You can't exactly bring up to the Russians, oh, oh by the way, we're going to go check out the Crimea where we were fighting you, you know, 100 years ago, whatever. So that would have been a slightly, you know, sensitive subject for them. So, you know... What? So anyway, so yeah, so just to give everybody an idea as far as the um, the Crimean War, you know, from October 1853 to March 56, the Russian Empire is going to eventually end up losing to an alliance of France, Britain, Ottoman Empire, and Sardinia. And of course, what was the cause of this? Religion. So the uh, the rights of the Christian minorities in the Holy Land, um, which belonged to the part of the Ottoman Empire, were being trampled upon. Supposedly, the French were trying to p- protect the rights of the Roman Catholics. The Russians were promoting the rights of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So there was a lot of tension there. There is some fighting in the Balkans, but it's it's not really going anywhere. So eventually, there is uh, the British, the Allies, excuse me, decide that there is going to be uh, actual fighting in the Crimea. So they're gonna it's going to take them a while, but they're gonna. Build their massive forces together in September of 1854. They're going to fight their way to a point south of Sevastopol um, after a series of battles, and then the Russians are going to counterattack, and it's it's, it's pretty much going to get repulsed. But now it's time for the British to uh, to try one one charge during during these series of battles, but it is going to go horribly wrong because of miscommunication and a lack of professionalism.
0: All right, Reader's Digest. Now uh, let's uh, let's break that down a little bit. You in a hurry? I know. Heather said that if you wrap up early, you get to you know you get to two minutes and half. Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean yeah. you need to just rush through it. But it's okay. Mm. I said I wasn't sure. Just if- just put your mic on mute. Go and have your two minutes. I'll still be talking. Come back. Everyone's happy. No one's going to even miss you when you're gone. Deal. Yeah. So I want to I, I, I talk about this because it is a great story And this is probably the only chance we're ever going to get to tell it So uh, let's take a couple of minutes and tell the story properly So as you said, this was a war Well, it was supposedly officially something to do with religion But of course, it's rarely, if ever, got anything really to do with religion And this is a prime example it had nothing to do with religion It was just the pretext for what was going on, mm-hmm. Napoleon the uh, Third, Na- the Napoleon the First's uh, dumb nephew, um, old Puffy Pants himself, as I like to refer to him, because there's a great painting of him uh, somewhere in nice. Paris, I think, at the Louvre, uh, where he's uh, wearing puffy pants. They look like they had a, a, a little tubes. Somebody had to blow them up like a, a balloon. Um, <laughs>
1: Just think that was your job.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, it was somebody's job. These uh, <laughs> are not the puffy enough. I need them to be more puffy. I need to blow. Blow, I say. <laughs> um, the French Catholics, um, he needed to get the French Catholics on board uh, to shore up his political support. And there was this battle going on in Bethlehem, in the old mm. country over control of the Church of the Nativity, the supposed birthplace of Jesus. Um, Now, of course, that whole region, Syria, Palestine, was part of the Ottoman Empire, which was tottering at this stage, even in the mid-19th century. And so all of these countries that you mentioned before were really just trying to take a bite out of it. It was an excuse to try and Mm. take a big piece of the old Ottoman Empire. Now, the French Catholics wanted control over the Church of the Nativity, but the Russian Orthodox Christians and Tsar Nicholas I of Russia also wanted control of it. That that was the cover story for the war. Oh, we all want control of the Church of the Nativity. No, it's our church. No, he's our Jesus. No, he's our Jesus. Oh,
1: no, we want his all of our Jesus.
0: Yeah. And there was the keys to the Church of the TV. Now, the thing is, the, the churches fig- actually negotiated a diplomatic solution ahead of the war. <laughs> but the. Uh,
1: they figured it out for themselves. Yeah,
0: but uh, Napoleon III and Nicholas I were like, shut up, fuck up, we don't care, don't no, tell, we're going to war anyway. We haven't had a good war for this a is few years. It's not about years. you anyway, yeah. that's right. Now, what was really going on was uh, this, this sort of battle for partly Turkey what we think of as Turkey today. Uh, Tsar Nicholas wanted Turkey sort of subservient for the sake of Russian security, as we've seen Mm -hmm. over and over again in this series. Uh, A buffer zone has always been important to the Russians, and this was true even in 1854. Napoleon, as I said, the third, uh, needed the support of the Catholics domestically at home. The British government, who got involved, was supporting the Ottomans, because they wanted mm. to keep Turkey independent uh, to help them control the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, as I've said in recent episodes, where I think, I oh know that was in the bullshit filter. I was talking about Kissinger and divide and conquer and uh, Cardinal right. Richelieu. This has been the British policy in Europe and the Middle East for centuries. Um, and they're good at keep it. Keep them all fighting each other because if they manage to unify then they can actually challenge our hegemonic control, particularly of the sea back then. Um, So as usual, it's about trade and security. So anyway, as you say, there's this big battle that sort of comes to a head at this big battle in Balaclava in the Crimea in 1854. Now, the Russian artillery um, had captured some guns and the commander of the British forces, uh, mm-hmm. Lord Raglan uh, sent down orders to have the the Russian um, artillery battery that taking their guns stopped. Um, now there's an officer called Captain Louis Nolan, who's the messenger from Lord Raglan. He's supposed That's to right. deliver orders to Lieutenant General George Bingham, the third Earl of Lucan who had overall command of the British Cavalry, and he's supposed to give him the orders to follow the enemy and try to prevent the enemy from carrying away the guns. Now, he could have sent him a text message, could have sent him an email, a a couple of emojis in there, hug, hug, kiss, kiss, uh, a note, telegram, fax. Mm -hmm. uh, But no, he wants to deliver it in person. Uh, He has a letter from Lord Raglan that he's supposed to hand right. over, but instead of handing over the letter when Nolan turns up, he, you know, he was a frustrated theatre major and um, he <laughs> did a little performance. He said, There, my lord, is your enemy. There are your guns. <laughs> and he swept his arm across the reel like he was doing Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, shit. Now... Lucan, uh, the Earl of Lucan, George Bingham, said, uh, what guns? What, what guns are we supposed to go? And he goes, there! And sweeps his arm again across the field. But where he finishes with his wide sweep of the arm, he's pointing to the wrong Russian artillery battery. Oh, fuck.
1: you got to know to gesture Shakespeare style. you got to get that right. Yeah, with a sword. You point in the actual direction. <laughs>
0: So exactly. Uh, Lucan sends off the cavalry. They, they charge towards the wrong Russian artillery battery. <sighs> They're being led by Major General James Brudnell, the seventh Earl of Cardigan. Uh, he had a lot of cardigans. that guy, let me tell you, when <laughs> you're the Earl of Cardigan man, you are never short of a cardigan.
1: Yeah good old Cardigan. always snug yeah,
0: always warm. And, yeah, and they get mowed down this uh, yeah. British Cavalry Force. Now, the first to get mowed down is Nolan, the messenger. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because he rode out in front of it. Now, historians don't really know whether he rode out with them because he wanted part of the glory or because mm-hmm. he saw they were heading in the wrong direction and was trying to stop them. Wait, wait, no, I, I might yeah. have been a little bit uh, overdramatic with the arm. No, no, not that one. <laughs> this one over here. But he died, so no one knows what the real story was. And it was a bloodbath. 107 men out of 676 were killed. Another 187 were wounded, 50 captured, 400 horses slaughtered. Now, I love this. Uh, There was Captain Godfrey Morgan uh, who was Mm -hmm. there, saw what happened, and he later wrote his memoirs. He said... The, shell, the first shell burst in the air about a 100 yards in front of us. The next one dropped in front of Nolan's horse and exploded on touching the ground. He uttered a wild yell as his horse turned around and with his arms extended, the range dropped on the animal's neck. He trotted towards us, but in a few yards dropped dead off his horse. I do not imagine that anybody except those in the front line of the 17th Lancers saw what had happened." We went on. When we got about two or three hundred yards, the battery of the Russian horse artillery opened fire. I do not recollect hearing a word from anybody as we gradually broke from a trot to a canter through the noise of the striking of men and horses by grape and round shot was deafening while the dust and gravel struck up by the round shot that fell short was almost blinding and irritated my horse so that I could scarcely hold him at all. But as we came near, I could see plainly enough, especially when I was about a hundred yards from the guns. I appeared to be riding straight on to the muzzle of one of those guns, and I distinctly saw the gunner apply his fuse. I shut my eyes then, for I thought that settled the question as far as I was concerned. But the shot just missed me and struck the man on my right full in the chest." In another minute, I was on the gun and the leading Russian's grey horse, shot, I suppose, with a pistol by somebody on my right, fell across my horse, dragging it over with him and pinning me in between the gun and himself. A Russian gunner on foot at once covered me with his carbine. He was just within reach of my sword and I struck him across the neck the blow did not do much harm but it disconcerted his aim at the same time a mounted gunner struck my horse on the forehead with his sabre spurring sir briggs he cut no he half jumped half blundered over the fallen horses and then for a short time bolted with me sir briggs being the name of his horse i gather I only remember finding myself alone among the Russians trying to get out as best I could. This, by some chance, I did, in spite of the attempts of the Russians to cut me down. So uh, I thought that was just a great first-hand account of what battles like this were like, man. He, he sees the guy lighting yeah. the fuse and just closes his eyes and charges on. I mean, this is, this is it. balls yeah. the size of yeah. steel these guys had, man.
1: Yeah cuz I I read uh I read the passage and I and I got to the part where The gentleman leading the charge believed that the other guy was trying to take over from him, as opposed to, um, no, 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 you're supposed to be going over this way. So there's this big open area. The Russians have no trouble firing at them. They're 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 taking out a lot of of the cavalrymen, but they do make it to the line of captured guns. There is a skirmish, and then they obviously they're not going to win. They take off. They lose even more men as they're running away. So, but again, they were known. They were given credit for supposedly getting an order that was pretty much suicidal but doing it anyway and they were admired for that whereas cam and i would have would not, i don't think so thank you very much we, we would have took off but the entire war just was a symbol for for those who survived it and studied it it was a symbol for everybody about the logistical uh and tactical failures mismanagement lack of professionalism in the in the armed forces uh the cavalry even the uh the the um The first aid given to them, and that's when uh, Florence Nightingale uh, became famous and because she was able to do a much better job than a lot of the uh, professionals working around her. So again, it led pretty much Britain and other countries to go, you know what, we have to be serious about this. We have um, uh, mechanized to a degree warfare and we need to take this seriously and, and put it in the hands of professionals and not just people who were born into a certain part of the uh, social economic uh, ladder. So again, all the mistakes made cost a lot of people their lives and a lot of Europeans started saying we have to treat war uh, as a science because that when the next war comes it could be even more bloody if we don't.
0: Yeah, I mean Napoleon had started to teach them that 50 years earlier and then um, Buggerlugs, my old uh, Prussian friend wrote um, his book, Who is the Guy, the the Von Clausewitz uh, on on, uh, war. And uh, it it was still early days, though. It was like a generation or two after that. They still hadn't quite figured out that you needed to run it as a professional operation. It was also um, highly important, highly uh, um, got a lot of attention, this war, because it was one of the first wars that was covered by journalists. And so there was a lot of immediate reporting back home of what was going on, and I'll cover that in a bit more detail in a second. But I wanted to just also point out that uh, Lucan, who had overall command of the British Cavalry, and Cardigan, who led the charge, were actually um, brothers-in-law or brother-in-laws. Brother-in-laws, brothers-in-law, brother. brother, uh, one of the two. Anyway... And or they hated each other.
1: Related through marriage. They hated yeah, each other. of course they're going to.
0: And Lucan didn't provide any support for Cardigan when he went off and got mowed oh. down, and one of the theories is because he hated him. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was the wrong direction, but, oh, well, fucking, you know.
1: <laughs> because that problem. Yeah,
0: whatever. Um, now, Cardigan, who led the charge, actually somehow survived. He reached the Russian guns, took part in the skirmish, <clears throat> then returned alone. Up the valley without even even bothering to rally or find out what happened to the rest of his cavalry unit.
1: Nope, I'm out. You said go. before that they they retreated
0: go. in good order or something, but uh, he didn't. He was just like, oh, fuck you guys, I've had enough." Um, he was just angry at Captain <laughs> Nolan, who, as you said, he thought had tried to take over leadership of the charge. He rides. He rides back How up. Dare you? Sir. He rides back up the valley. And then, can you believe this shit? Left the field of battle, went back to mm-hmm. his yacht in Balaclava Harbour, where he ate a champagne dinner. Now, well, I'm not exactly even sure yeah. what that is. I think it's where you just drink a bottle of champagne and go, oh, "That's dinner,"
1: till you pass out. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's uh...
1: I. I would argue. I would argue that he's never had better tasting champagne his entire life than when he survived that asinine charge and retreat. And if, and if you actually can get away, then that's a pretty good, uh, it's what I call a pretty good order. But I'm sure that that champagne t- tasted fantastic with all the bullets whizzing by. Can you
0: imagine Julius Caesar or Alexander <laughs> the Great or Napoleon uh, being in a disaster and then going, oh, fuck you guys, I'm going back to my tent to drink champagne? Pompey the Great. Alexander. Pompey the Great, absolutely. No. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. or even Marcus Antonius, but uh, not, not the other guys. Alfred Lord Alex- Tennyson. Yeah, go ahead. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a very famous poem about the charge of the Light Brigade that uh, I'm going to fucking run, but it, I'm going to read. But it was published six weeks later. This is what I'm talking about sort of the, the relatively quick um, wow. media coverage of this.
1: Instant coverage. And this is very
0: famous, and and it's it's worth a read. It's worth knowing. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply... Theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, Cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode. And well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabers bare Flashed as they turned the air sabring the gunners there Charging an army while all the world wondered Plunged in the battery smoke Right through the line they broke Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke Shattered and sundered Then they rode back But not, not the 600 Cannon to the right of them Cannon to the left of them cannon behind them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well, came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honor the charge they made, Honour the Light Brigade, Noble 600. And scene. Thank you. Thank
1: nice. You. So many famous lines from that that everybody knows they might not know where it came yeah. from. Yeah. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon
0: to the left of them. Um, okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. There's not to reason why there's but to do and die. How many dumb young cunts have been sent off to kill and be killed with those words being (laughs) recited to them and them thinking that's the sensible, noble thing to do?
1: And when we get to the third third episode that we're going to record tonight we're going to find out uh, General Marshall found out what some Americans were doing against the Japanese in Manila Ugh. kind of this sporting attitude and he's not going to he's not going to be too happy about that so things haven't changed very mm. much.
0: So what do we all learn from this? Well, nothing much except that the British chiefs of staff like to go on a holiday. Um, Meanwhile, the Americans stayed behind and managed to convince the Russian military uh, leaders who were at Yalta to put the question of Soviet support for the war against Japan on the next day's agenda. They also finally reached agreement on the bomb line, the demarcation line, in the combat area between sort of the Americans and the British and the Russians, where they could safely bomb the fuck out of the Nazis without endangering the Allied troops. And we're going to talk about that in a lot more detail.
1: Yeah. So, as far as the Americans are concerned, when they come to Yalta, two big things are on FDR's mind. And before this, um, before researching for these next three episodes, I did not appreciate the amount of stress. FDR was under because he always comes across as so smooth and carefree and polished. And he's got a cigarette and his cigarette holder. And he's always being snarky with his comments. And he was, he was intelligent. He was smooth, but he is under incredible amount of pressure from his military. So when he comes to Yalta, he only cares about two things. One, the Security Council vote which they've already taken care of to a degree, and two, getting, like you said, getting the Russians to come in the war against the Japanese, and we'll see um, specifically why a little later on. But the Americans are starting to get stressed. This is day four of the conference. They're not getting anywhere. The Like you said, the British are out sightseeing. This is um, February 7th. It is time to finally try to get something out of the Russians, and so the Americans are going to take it, especially the American military commanders, are going to take it, Advantage of the British, the, the the British lack of presence, and they're going to really push push the Russians on this because they have to get this done before Yalta is over, and it is almost wrapping
0: up. Yeah, it was only supposed to go for five days, and so this is the last mm-hmm. day's agenda they're trying to sort out here. Now, right. one of the things the military military commanders wanted, particularly the Americans, is they wanted to be able to make direct contact with the Red Army's commanders. Eisenhower wanted to be able to pick up a phone. And talk directly yeah. to the Red Army's commander so they could coordinate actions on the field. And this was kind of important because at one point the Americans had actually <laughs> bombed the Red Army by mistake. Oops. Yeah. Uh, and Sorry. they didn't want it to happen again, not because they cared about bombing the Russians, just it was a waste of a bomb <laughs> that could have been used on the Nazis. To, to kill some Germans. But the British... Wouldn't agree to direct communication between the Americans and the Soviets.
1: Why? Oh, why would they not?
0: <laughs> oh, for the same reason you won't let Heather talk to um, um, D'Angelo, her big black lover. Uh, you know, because uh, yeah. even though she said well, she would she, just talk, even though she yeah. said she's no longer fucking him. Right. You, you, you're not ex- you don't exactly believe that at face value. I mean, you want to believe her? You want to trust her?
1: Look, okay, let, let, let's put it in terms everybody can understand. I am like Britain, okay? Before D'Angelo came along, I was the biggest seen, thing that Heather had ever seen. Four, all now, four foot three United- of you. <laughs> Hey, hey, that's not important. The point is it's all relative. Anyway, so now <laughs> the United States is a superpower in the West. Britain is filling its place, has been, it's been pushed down, and Ray has had his place <laughs> pushed down because of, of D'Angelo. So if you really think about it, the United States and Russia could just freaking talk to each other pretty much not even include Britain, and the war would still go on the way, the way it's gonna go because the Americans have already been fighting with the British generals. Churchill's been wanting to um, invade the Balk- Balkans um for at least a year now and and marshall and uh, eisenhower and fdr are going no 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 we're going to get on the western uh we're going to get you know and get in france and we're going to push our way we're going to have one big massive line and we're going to push our way all to berlin that makes military sense not all this hopping around and all this stuff you want to do you're driving me crazy churchill shut up so they've already been fighting with the british and now they want to now that they're getting closer they want to be able to communicate with uh, Stalin's forces as they're getting closer, which makes perfect strategic sense, but it would leave Britain out. Britain knows this. So they're trying to stymie any kind of, um, agreement as as best they can, but they're, they don't want to look like children. They don't want to look like petulant children. So they're trying to do it in a very smooth way. But again, they're out all on tour right now. Um, and so the Americans are taking advantage of this.
0: Just like D'Angelo, man
1: boom yeah. I, I get nervous every time I leave I get nervous every time mm, I leave
0: just accept it man it's a lot easier to deal with things in life if you just accept it I taught you that in the three illusions show man just accept it's okay yeah,
1: yeah. it's, it's let, it kind of doesn't work when it comes to my wife's uh, anyway let's let, go on just
0: let nature take its course right that's what I'm saying <laughs> fuck you okay <clears throat> no fuck D'Angelo no, um so yeah, but and you would think the Soviet commanders would be all for this, as I said, they had been accidentally yeah. bombed, and the, the Americans are saying, Oops. "All right, so uh, listen, we want to talk directly to you." And then the Russians are like, uh, "I don't know if that's a very good idea, Khotka. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Uh, maybe, the, maybe it's uh, well. Uh, we have to think about it." The Americans are like, "What are you talking about? This makes perfect sense." And, well, I do not know. Uh, maybe we, we, maybe we could talk about it. We come back to you. This is going around and around, and the Americans are like, "What? what's your fucking problem? Finally, <laughs> yeah. Air Force Marshal Sergei Kudayakov says, listen, we need to talk to Joe first. <laughs> and they went, oh, okay. Because remember, oh, yeah. these aren't the senior... Re- we said at the beginning of the Alter conference, the most senior... Red Army military commanders aren't there because they're busy fighting Hitler. It's sort of the second rank that are there. Now, even the top rank probably aren't going to make decisions like this without checking with Joe first, let alone the second (laughs) rank. They're like,
1: (laughs) are you fucking fucking
0: kidding me? me? Do you know what this would mean (laughs) if, you know... And, they and, and of course, the Americans and the British didn't really understand what it was like to live uh, under Stalin. They hadn't experienced that complete centralization of command under one person. So, I mean, Americans now understand that because you're under Trump. Yeah. But before then... <laughs>
1: yeah, they had to see it firsthand. They had to actually watch these grown men past middle age, in military uniforms, stutter and stall. What is wrong with you? This obviously makes good common sense. They had to witness it firsthand. Even General Dean, uh, the head of the U.S. military mission in Moscow, he knew about this, and he even told them, he said, look, there's only one person in Russia for which a foreigner can sometimes attain, obtain a decision at, at a meeting, and that's Marshal Stalin. So you're Westerners. They don't trust you. They don't trust even talking to you because it's going to get back to Stalin. So do not expect any decision from them, no matter how minute, no matter how obvious the answer should be. They are not going to give it to you because it's going to get back to Stalin. Everything's bugged. Even the toilets are bugged. And so these men are not going to deviate from an, an already agreed list of questions and topics
0: they go they go to the tour they open the lid they go oh no somebody's left a float is that a float why does it have a little green light flashing in the float <laughs> is that a float or is
1: that a decoy
0: it's a decoy it's a bug it what won't flush it? i'm trying to
1: flush it it won't go down you
0: gotta, you gotta stuff a bug somewhere in there you just <laughs> stuff it in a turd um oh my now God. They hadn't lived the Americans and the British obviously through the Great Purge, which was only eight years ago. At this stage, the Great yeah. Purge had been going on thirty six, thirty seven, somewhere around that. So, the, the the Russians, of course, it's very it's very clear in their recent memory. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, Kudayakov uh, is a great case in point. His original name was Arminak kanferians um, in 1918, he was living and working in Baku, the largest city of Azerbaijan, and he joined the Bolsheviks, organised the Red Guards of Baku. So he was a you know, very early jumping on the Bolshevik bandwagon. During mm-hmm. the Russian Civil War, he was saved from drowning in a steamer that was sunk by a British gunboat... Let's Mm. remember that the British and the Americans decided to jump into the Russian Civil War to support the Tsars. But he was saved by his friend, Sergei Kudyakov, Ah. who was later killed in uh, the fighting in the Civil War. So Kanferians adopted Sergei's name as his own, as a memorial to the man who saved his life.
1: Wow. Isn't that... That's a, that's pretty... That is, isn't yeah. it?
0: Can you yeah. imagine doing that? That's a, big, that's a big fucking thing, man.
1: Well, actually, I can because I'm going to be in Australia for three mm. weeks and I'm sure there's a lot of animals that are going to try and kill mm. me. So who is going to save who? Mm. It should be don't refer, and then the Don't refer to,
0: to Queenslanders as animals. That's racist. Just call them <laughs> subhumans. Uh, rednecks. <laughs> or bogans, as we call them here.
1: Okay. Um. Okay, bogans i got to write that
0: down. Well, Don Draper did that, obviously. We know Don Draper took Don Draper's That's name. That's right. Um, but, you know, not for saving his life, really, for getting killed because Don yeah. Draper, whatever his original name was, was an idiot. Um, anyway, uh, he, he takes his name. then in 1931, uh, the new Kudyakov goes to Moscow, attends the uh, Military Air Academy, graduates with honours. Only in 1936... Good timing, Mm because the Great Purge is going on, so he's he's the (laughs) the new police academy, comes out when everyone else is getting killed. Quite quickly, like a year later, he becomes head of the operations branch of the Air Staff, and a year after that, Chief of Logistics Management for the Air Force. Now, I've got a theory on this. I mean, Qui qui Bono, who stood to profit from the Great Purge? Kujakov. He comes straight out of the academy, straight up the ranks. My theory is that right. he was actually behind the great purge. It was it was a cunning, cunning plan that he had. Get Stalin to kill all of the military leaders. Right. Make it easier for me to uh, go up the ranks when I come out. Um, anyway. That's viable. I'll back that. So within that. two years of graduating, he's chief of logistics management. Then during the great patriotic war, 41 to 45, he becomes chief of staff of the Air Force Commander of the Air Force of the Western Front, Chief of Staff of the Red Army's Air Force, Commander of the First Army, Chief of Staff and Deputy Commander of the Red Army's Air Force. Boom. Straight up. Man, he is gone from, in nine years... Meteor. Yeah. So, looking good for him, right? Wrong. Uh...
1: I was going to say, he's going to end up a hero of the Soviet fucking (laughs) Union.
0: Actually, in August of 1944, uh, by decree of the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet of the Soviet Union, he was given the rank of Marshal of Aviation.
1: Nice. Not bad,
0: but less than a year after Yalta, December 1945, he was arrested... No. And accused of being a British spy since the age of
1: 16? Wow, he's really good. If he's that good, he should work for Stalin. Oh, wait.
0: He <laughs> he's like, do, You do not recall they tried to kill me. A British gunboat sunk my steamer, and they're like, Yeah, that was. This was obviously a setup to t- put us off the trail.
1: Yeah. Uh, and The British were. And on. he was
0: executed by firing squad in 1950.
1: Now was was that was that the Soviet leader, relatively speaking, of course, during Yalta that was more open yes. um, and and, and was more comfortable with um talking to the Westerners. I'm sure that did not help him if not if that did not directly sink him in Stalin's eyes. It just took a while to get all the paperwork going to come up trump up some charges uh to get him arrested.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. He was he Jeez. was fairly well liked, round faced, fairly affable kind of guy, the Anglo-Americans liked him, and that probably, as you say, not good on the CV. Uh, so executed in 1950. In 1965, his case was retried after Stalin's long, long uh, dead. Thank you? Yeah, and he was found innocent of all charges.
1: Although oh, I'm sure that meant a lot to well,
0: him. Probably meant a lot to his family, I guess. Uh, they might have got some sort yeah. of a meagre payout.
1: Yeah, out of prison? Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's what happens even when all he said was we need to check with Comrade Stalin and that was that was probably enough to have him executed.
1: He, he didn't he didn't say it soon enough. He did say it, but first <laughs> he's like, Huh, you know, we're all airmen, we all get along, we understand general staff's a pain in the ass. And he and he tried to say you know, he tried to build a um a rapport with these men. And obviously that got back to Stalin who didn't like that. But like we were talking about earlier, the, the commanders of the United States Armed Forces are just pressuring FDR. They want him to talk to Stalin because they have several requests and questions that just aren't getting through to these generals. They need to go right to the top because they finally figured out. They, so they want their top dog to talk to their top dog.
0: Top dog to top dog. Now, uh, as I said earlier on, one of the things that uh, they worked out or were trying to work out on February 7th was where the bomb line was going to be. And there were different proposals that all the different sides put forward, went backwards and forwards. Mm. This proposal was rejected. That proposal was rejected. Uh turns out that they had a different definition of what bomb line actually meant. Uh, as Plato mm. said, the definition of terms is the beginning of wisdom, one of my favourite quotes. Um, And finally, they came up with a new term, the zone of limitation.
1: Yeah. So we might not be able to tell you exactly where to bomb, but here's where you don't bomb, or here's where it's okay to bomb. And I thought it was interesting that, again, like you just said, the Russians had a... And this, of course, makes sense to us nowadays with hindsight. The Russians had a different mentality when it came to warfare. If Cam and I team up against somebody, we're going to figure out how to work together. But to the Russians' point of view is... I'll work over here, you work over there, and we won't mix our results, we won't help each other per se, but if you focus on your area and I focus on my area, we'll get victory, whereas the Americans and the British didn't didn't see it that way at all. So even that kind of working together was a foreign concept to the Russians, and after everything Stalin has done to them since 1924-25, you can't really blame them. That's right. And so
0: basically what they worked out, it was something like 60 kilometres, I think, away from the Red Army. That's where the Americans and the British could be bombing. But the Red Army's moving in a bit of a hurry into Germany. And so they come up with this line that's valid as of that date, but uh, the line's going to obviously be moving as the Red Army uh, uh, continues to invade Germany. And the, the Western allies are desperate to bomb more shit. They've got all these bombs. They've bombed a lot of shit already, don't get me wrong. But they're like, like we've.
1: Getting really good. We at
0: still it. have more bombs. We're running out of things to bomb. And if we don't hurry up and use them, it'll be too late because the Russians will be there. And, uh, you know, A, the official line was uh, we want to uh, make it easier for the Red Army to invade. Uh, the other side right. of the story is we don't want there to be anything for the Russians to take with them uh, <laughs> when they get there. Let's destroy it all because they might find some good shit that they can take home right. and use against us.
1: But what- And there was one more unofficial, I'm sorry, just one more unofficial reason. They wanted the Soviet army and the generals and Stalin to know exactly how much bigger, better more sophisticated, uh, their bombers were compared to the um, to the uh, Soviet bombers. So again, these guys are allies, but America and Britain want it to be quite clear to the Soviets exactly how awesome our military machines are. So again, multi is going into this. But again, like you were saying, um, we're trying to bomb the area that you're going to to make it easier for you, but we're really making sure you don't steal anything and we want you to know how big our junk is mm-hmm. so you won't mess with us in the future. Yeah.
0: And the bomb line, as they conceived of it, ran right through the middle of a city that was known as the Florence on the Elbe, because it was a beautiful old gingerbread city with beautiful old architecture, Dresden. Right. And it, yeah, and so far, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and in our next episode, we will talk about the bombing of Dresden.
1: Yeah. Out of all the horrors of World War II, this has has got to be up there. Just a complete waste of so many things. Yeah.
0: But we're getting close to an hour. I've got some reviews and uh, heroes to do. So let's uh, wrap it there. I want to thank uh, the following heroes. I want to start with a new DEF CON 3 hero, Gorta Lund. I hope I pronounced that right. And if I didn't, my apologies, Gorta Thank you. So does Gorta. Thank you for your support of the show. Um, And uh, I also want to thank the following new Defcon 1 supporters. Jesus Bariano Pena, uh, Nicholas Condell, Harry Reader, Dean Foley, Mike Curl, Mohammed Chima, Sheena Nichols, Lee McKnight, Nicholas Nezek, Israel Rodriguez, Francois Robitay. Kai McGreal Ben Fanjoy and Sasha Barrington welcome to the show everybody thank
1: you
0: in yes. 45 hours when you catch up to this episode uh, welcome <laughs> hope you've enjoyed it so far I hope you're still listening um, now a uh, uh, couple of reviews I want to read this one this one cracked me up uh, from the United States Midwest James it's title is Attempts Humor falls short. I can appreciate what these are trying to do by interjecting humor and trying to make learning history fun. My issue is that most of the humor uses crude language and or vulgar humor to try and get a cheap laugh. For me, it doesn't work, which is ashamed because I find some of the historical information, intriguing, even if I don't always agree with their conclusions. Just wish that I could listen to it in the car with my kids. Really?
1: Yeah, no, that's not going to
0: happen. Really? You want to listen to death, murder, destruction, and bloodshed, rape, murder with your kids? But you don't want to hear poopy words. You stupid fucking cunt, James. This is not a topic for fucking kids. Now, mind you, I Googled this chump and I noticed that on his Twitter feed, he also recently called George Takei unhinged, out-of-the-touch left because Uh, George Takei wrote, understand that the rest of the world puts both Kim Jong-un and Donald J. Trump into the same unbalanced nuclear-armed state leader basket and for that... Midwest James said George Takei is unhinged, out of and out of touch. I'm I'm happy to be in the George Takei basket of unhinged. Um, Mm -hmm. And according to Midwest James's plenty of fish dating profile, uh, he's a 48 year old male Christian from Atlanta, Georgia, with a master's degree, who works in IT sales, and who likes dressing up as Darth Maul um no now pull up a seat midwest james i know you're a christian and you know by definition not too bright but um if you're trying to date if you're trying to find a woman to date and let's face right. it you're 48 you don't have all your hair you're a little bit pasture a little bit tubby thick a little bit tubby yeah nothing thick. wrong with that yeah but, nope. you know, dressing up as Darth Maul and putting that photo on your Plenty of Fish profile page could explain why, you know, you're not in a relationship at the moment, uh, Midwest James. Not saying that there aren't women out there who might dig a little bit of cosplay, but come and fuck right. me dressed up as Darth Maul? Hey, uh, th- that's a woman k- I'd be k- running away from. <laughs> not... <laughs>
1: can i can i can i take a stab at this real quick
0: well <coughs> hey midwest james would love someone to take a stab at him real quick i'm okay. sure like he's probably up for anything okay,
1: okay this is for you james <clears throat> at last we will reveal ourselves at last we will have a revenge against the jedi yeah i hope they got him off i hope they got Woo! him off darth maul
0: impersonation Thanks. um <laughs> Oh, I have no Fox lie. was watching, we were watching late, so, like, the lightsaber jewels with Darth Maul this morning over breakfast, and he was like, Dead scary guy. That's what he calls Darth Maul. Dead scary guy.
1: <laughs> so so, uh, so don't dress up like it. That's
0: Midwest James. Uh, so let me go to a good review. Thank and here, James. keeping with the Star Wars theme, Louise Skywalker <laughs> uh, from the United States. So, so good is uh, the subject of her review. So, so good. Uh, Imagine if your two favourite history teachers were hanging out, drinking a bit of limoncello. And decided to give an uncensored, well-researched, and well-sourced account of the entire Cold War. That would be Cam and Ray's Cold War podcast. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it in this like bad Valley Girl accent, Louise. It's just the so-so good. I'm not having on. a crack, Louise. It's just the so-so good thing.
1: <laughs> no, we love. It you. comes
0: complete with historical humor, swearing, dad jokes, and challenging your presumptions. Cam takes the lead. Ray adds in things, and they take the piss out of each other and play song clips as needed skepticism and fact-checking are encouraged as cam tells us regularly not to just take his word as truth but to go read a book about it speaking of which i wish i'd started keeping a list of all the book recommendations that have been made since the beginning have i read this review out before i don't know sounds familiar to me uh yeah we we have book recommendations up on our website uh of all of our books louise so just go to a cold com, get that sorted um Furthermore, you can tell they genuinely care about their listeners and subscribers. Oh, did I mention they give free subscriptions to students? Thank you, guys. I found Cameron Ray's Cold War podcast while searching for podcasts discussing the Russian Revolution, which was a current topic in my political ideologies class. Immediately, I realized I'd found a gem and backtracked to start listening from the beginning, and I've literally been listening obsessively ever since. Now I'm finally getting around to leaving a review whilst cackling at their bio of Charles de Gaulle during World War I. As an American millennial, any facts about the Cold War that I learned came from a short immemorable memorable Americanized overview of it in my high school history class, plus decades of cultural references from The Simpsons. Yeah. I've been learning loads from Ray and Cam and have really enjoyed the time I've spent listening to them. I'm so pumped that they're coming out with a current events podcast and the Renaissance podcast sounds incredible. Keep up the good work, guys.
1: Aww, thank, you. thank you,
0: Louise. I hope you liked my uh, accent. That's all for you. Um, pretty much sounded like Chrissy, my wife, actually. I was just doing my impression of her, at least when she moved here. Hey, Valley Girl's gone down a notch since she lived in Australia, that's but that's what she sounded like when I met her. Yeah. Um, sounds like you're on a free subscription, Louise, so I'm not going to offer to send you a coffee mug. You've already got your freebie. But uh, thank mm-hmm. you for the review. Nicely done. Thank you. I'll read another one here uh, that may get a a mug. Um, uh, Andy Haggers from the United Kingdom. Hurry up, Andy says. Okay, uh, British accent, British accent, British accent. Um.
1: Hurry up. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) Drop your age, baby. Drop your age.
0: What can I say? This is a fun, crude, and highly entertaining podcast that gets past the tip of the Cold War and pushes deep into history behind it. Only the way it's going in the current global strife, you may need to hurry up before we all have to break out the factor 5000. Honestly, sign up to this podcast and just enjoy the history. Remember, it's not just a tip of history but the whole thing. I'll I'll yeah, I don't know what that was. A little, uh, no. little bit of Michael Palin in there somewhere, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Andy well Haggers. Uh, send us an email to email at a cold com with your address. We'll, done, we'll send you a thank you gift. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is episode 43.
1: curtain has descended across the continent of the soviet military buildup on the island of cuba the purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the western hemisphere